Broadcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. From praising Alfie to Brady Kachuk and everything in between. If it matters to Sins fans, we're talking about it right here. And now, here's Steve Warren. Brock Mantooth, I think I missed you most of all as we took a week off last week, but we're back. Coming up today, Bobby Ryan opens up about getting bought out, says it was a complete shock. When will the season begin and Sens camp for that matter? All still ahead today on the Sens Nation podcast. Very pleased to be joined once again by the coach. It is Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Very good, Stephen. How are you? You had a good week off, I hope. I certainly did. Thanks for asking. What do we have uh, with the Masters starting up? We've got uh, Beer League Hockey starting up. So, yeah, very busy week. How about you? That week's been just fine, Stephen. Uh, I'm back in the coaching world. I uh, thought I was done. I did have a couple of – actually, I had a had a job lined up for this season, and then it fell through due to COVID. And then um, I had another one lined up, and then that season was going to start till December, so I didn't take that. And then just this past week uh, – Got a call from lovely downtown Slave Lake, Alberta, where I am the new head coach of the Slave Lake Ice Dogs of the GMHL Western Division. Wow. I'm terribly thrilled. Yeah. Well, well, congratulations. You happy with well, the thank deal? Thank you. Yeah, very, very, very happy. Yes. The only, the only downside is, of course, it's about a 40-hour drive in my 2007 Chevy Impala with all of 225,000 kilometers on it. I've got my CAA membership renewed. I'm ready to go. Nice. You're going to go through a bunch of seasons on your way up there. You said it was three hours north of Edmonton? <laughs> it is, yes. <laughs> it's it's up there. Yeah. Well, no matter. Probably some great hockey country up that way. And uh, probably the only game in town as well. That's often cool. And I envy you a bit because uh, I miss running a bench. The last I coached with minor hockey three years ago, midget double-A girls, and I do miss it. Running a bench is uh, it's kind of addictive, isn't it? Yeah. I, 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 I will admit, though, there are certain parts that I did not miss. <laughs> but you just you hit the biggie one, the running the bench, the game day. There's nothing quite like that. Being on the bench at a game is, is uh, I, I don't think I could ever possibly miss that or not miss that. Uh, that's that's the best part of it, and it, it'll be fun to be to be back at it and uh, on the ice every day with these guys. Uh, practice every afternoon and games every Friday, Saturday. A nice little league, uh, a renegade league, but uh, not sanctioned by Hockey Canada. But uh, it's a job. It uh, it's been my livelihood for forty years now, so it's uh, it's 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 good to be back. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I was listening to Larry Robinson, ten-time Stanley Cup winner, talking this week. And he referenced the Stanley Cup, the first Stanley Cup that he won as a head coach, every bit as satisfying as any that he won as a player. It's obviously different, but still very satisfying, you know, because when you were a player, all, all he had to do was get himself ready for a game. And there was a certain satisfaction that comes with organizing a group of men and uh, getting them organized and, and, and figuring things out and, and then having success with that. Um, it, it's just a different kind of thing. And so, yeah, those who've been behind a bench before will probably uh, understand what we're talking about here. But we should launch in today. Yep. Here's a chance for Bobby Ryan trying to pull away. Ryan by himself. He scores! 
What a rush, a breakaway goal for Bobby Ryan, and Ottawa wins game one of the Eastern Conference Final 2-1. No, the memories. 2017 Eastern Conference Final. Bobby Ryan with the goal. That's courtesy of CBC and Sportsnet. Jim Houston with a call. And yeah, Bobby Ryan in the news this week. No longer a senator, of course, now with the Red Wings. And he opened up about his reaction to getting bought out back in September after seven years with the club. He still had a couple of years left on his deal. And he told The Athletic it was a complete shock. He said it was only about a minute conversation with the Sens, presumably Pierre Dorian. Um, and there's really not much to say. What do you say, really? Uh, I said, okay, thank you. Good luck. That's it. And, uh, and and that's back to coaching, right, Greg? I mean, it's uh, there's no real good way to tell someone, you're excluded, you're out of here, you're no longer a member of this team. Short is probably the best way when it, when it comes to releasing players, and let's face it, that's what this is. It's a much higher-end release. But to get into a long conversation, I, I would say that well over three-quarters of the people that you are speaking to don't want to speak or listen for too much longer, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a great scene in Moneyball. Have you seen it? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. So good. Like that scene where Brad Pitt, who plays Billy Bean, uh, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are talking about what to say to players when it's time to let them Teach go. Teach how to do it. Yeah, he was teaching them. Exactly. Jonah Hill had wanted no part of it, the character uh, that he played. But Brad Pitt So, what do you want? Do you want a bullet to the head or do you want five to the chest and bleed to death? That's kind of what it comes down to. Really short. Uh, direct them where they need to go. And out. And so I don't think Bobby Ryan was complaining. There was hard to say with the lack of context in a story like that. But this quote might ruffle a few feathers. He said, I always liked the people in Ottawa. I won't say I ever truly fell in love with the city part of it. And then he went on about the people that are really incredible. Um, I never got a sense that the fans had given up on you. They always embraced me. And uh, But that little line in there was like, I won't say I ever truly fell in love with the city part of it. it I mean, part of me as an Ottawa guy is going... Hey, what do, you, what do you mean? Hey, but you don't you don't know. I mean that that could have as much to do with the weather as anything else. Um, he's obviously not bilingual and never really been exposed to much French in his life. That might have played a part in it. Um, it. Where you live as a hockey player in Ottawa versus the city and the city life of Ottawa is completely different. Like he's not living downtown in a condo. He's out in the uh, suburbs, of course. So there's any number of reasons why he didn't, quote-unquote, fall in love with the city. He spends his summers uh, in, uh, in Idaho at a golf resort called, at a golf resort called uh, Gauzer, and it is like, it's nirvana. It's like this paradise and stuff. So if you show up pretty much in any Canadian city, uh, come October, I guess he arrives in September, and then you're only in that city from October... To April, we know. I mean, as much as you love Ottawa, I mean, this is my hometown, and I do love it. But uh, I've never been particularly enamored with what goes on weather-wise between November yeah. and March. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and if you're a city person, um, Ottawa—it's it, uh, not exactly. Well, maybe it is. Somebody was going to argue with me. I'm going to get in trouble for this. But is it really a cosmopolitan metro? metropolis of a town you know is it a world-class city in that regard uh maybe not um and if you're not a city person then the, the comment makes perfect sense i never truly fell in love with the city so he's not a city guy he's probably a an outdoorsy woodsman type guy he would have been happier to be up the valley probably yeah that could be 
Anyway, Bobby Ryan gets a one-year deal in Detroit, and uh, I thought that, I mean, you obviously have to uh, go into Detroit thinking that uh, good things can happen there. But his quote about his, his Detroit aspirations, he said, I knew that I needed to prove there's still some high-end hockey in me. I didn't want to go somewhere and immediately be a third or fourth line guy. I still think I can play in the top six to nine. And, uh, well, that top nine would be a third line guy. But he's obviously <laughs> implying he th- thinks he, you know, it sounds like he thinks because he's going to Detroit, which was the worst team by far in hockey last year, that he has a shot to be in their top six. Like, do you see that? Like, I mean, they're in a rebuild. Like, are you, why, why would you give a 33-year-old player, you know, all this top six time exactly? Well, he, he's going there as a, as a placeholder. There's that, that word again. Uh, Detroit's got a lot of youth, as you've said, but they've, they've got a hole for him. They've got a spot for him there on the right side, and he'll, he'll probably play, I, I would think, second line, and he'll definitely play power play, if not first unit power play. I mean, he's not going to kill penalties, but he'll he's going to play a lot more than he played here. Let's that's that's a given, I think. Um, and and I still think he can contribute. Let's not forget he's he's much better psychologically, he's much better physically and physiologically than he's been in years. And uh, well, we talked about this before he was bought out. We both thought that he was going to have a really good season this year. We just didn't think it was going to be somewhere else. So as we move along here. When do you think the NHL season, the Sens season, is going to actually start? We keep hearing that they're still targeting January 1st. Uh, Gary Bettman coming up with all kinds of different scenarios at uh, some kind of international summit that he was at. Um, He did talk about the idea of exploring teams playing in their own arenas, with or without fans, in hubs, or a hybrid system. Um, It sounds like everything is on the table at this stage of the game. You know, it might be a reduced schedule, even in the States, there's some concern about traveling from one state to another state. So it's not just a Canada-U.S. border thing. So there's a lot of work to be done if you're going to get a January 1st start to the season in. Like, we're about a month away now from when training camp should be starting if you're going to go with a January 1st start to your regular season. Yeah, if you if you go January 1st, you're going to start. You're going to want a, a two-week training camp. Uh, that takes you back to mid-December. They've already promised that some teams are getting a three-week training camp. That takes you back another week, obviously. Um, you've got two weeks of quarantine, players coming in from all over the world. In the case of Ottawa, I don't know what they're doing in the States, but I know here, of course, you've you've still got two weeks of quarantine before you can do anything after you arrive. So that takes you back into, like, next week, you know, like a week from now or so, where you need to be traveling and arriving in your city. So if they're going to do it, they better get on it soon. It's because uh, all the pre-prep uh, has got to start soon. Yep. I mean, in a standard year, let's just go back to last year. I checked the numbers. It was a 20-day span between the start of preseason, or sorry, the start of training camp and the first regular season game. That was a, that was in Ottawa anyway. So a 20-day period from September well, 12th. Weeks. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, and, and put your coach's hat on here, You've, you've had this absurdly long off season. Are you looking at it? I, I mean, in a perfect world, I don't know if the NHL is going to be able to accommodate it uh, or let them you know, start some pro skates on their own or something. But given the length, the sheer length of the Sens off season as a coach, would you like to have a longer training camp? I would think so. Yeah, especially here where you've got all these new players, right? You've got players who need to adjust to each other. 
new systems, new teammates, new city, new new surface, new arena, new home. Um, you need to get these players in here sooner than later. And yeah, if your norm is three weeks, I think the NHL has already said it's going to be a two-week training camp. So you give that extra week to to Ottawa, Detroit, New Jersey, to the non-playoff uh, teams, that gives them their three weeks. So uh, uh, three weeks should be more than enough time. It's a normal training camp, it, except uh, in a non-COVID year, that's a normal training camp is three weeks. I saw some grumbling about the possibility of a reduced schedule. Uh, personally, I've always thought that, uh, I mean, I was never around for the 50-game regular season when the NHL was in its early days, but honestly... That sounds about right to me in terms of the amount of rest yeah. a player needs and, 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 and playing at your best. Like 82 games is ridiculously a long season. So a reduced schedule, as much as I love hockey, um, I'm okay with that. You know, just scatter them about, uh, right. play 50, 60 games. I'm good with that because you don't have to, not every team's playing every night. You can, you start, you'd have some time to watch other teams for a change. Yeah. Well, let's face it. The only reason that the NHL has expanded over the years from 50 to 52 to 55 to 56 to whatever it climbed its way. The only reason it's at what it's at now is financial. It's more gates and it's a gate driven league. Well, there is no gate this year. So do you really need to try to cram in 82 games at the risk of long-term injury to your players, to your key assets? I don't think it's a good idea to try to cram 82 games in because as we know, again, they have to be finished by a certain date before the summer Olympics start the NHL has to be done, the Stanley Cup, the whole nine yards. And that's a date in, I keep meaning to look it up, Steve, and I don't, but that's a date in July, I believe. Yeah. Because NBC, the rights holder for the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs, is also the rights holder for the uh, Olympics, and they're not going to be broadcasting both simultaneously. So the other international hockey angle is how a January 1st start might affect the World Junior Hockey Championship in Edmonton. Maybe you'll be able to get to go to the game. You're just, uh, you know, two, three hours away. It's not too bad. Uh, the Slave Lake Ice Dogs head coach can do whatever he wants, damn it. Anyway, <laughs> what's to become of Alexi Lafreniere? If it's a January 1st NHL start, will the Rangers allow Lafreniere to go play for Hockey Canada? What would you do? Like, what's the best thing for the kid? I think they, they've pretty much made it clear that they do not expect him to, to play. They don't want him to play. Um, but then again, if they end up getting delayed starting the season, then mm. maybe he's available, but I still don't think they'll, they'll let him go. He's, he's ready to play in the NHL. They, they consider him to be a National Hockey League player, and that's it. He's going to play in the NHL. And it ends actually June, or sorry, June, January 5th is the scheduled yeah, so, gold medal date. I mean, if the schedule falls their way, maybe they don't even play in the first four days of the regular season. I'd be inclined to let him go. Why not? Well, I normally I agree with you. I think every team should always let the players go, even if it's the middle of the damn season. You know, like uh, major junior teams, CHL teams across the country are letting their players go and continuing on their seasons. Why can't the NHL let players go? Especially, very rarely is the guy uh, at the front line, top three forward on their team or top defenseman. So it's not like they should miss him all that much. I, like I wouldn't have a problem with letting him go, but from a Looking at it as a, what will the New York Rangers do? I don't think they'll let him go. What do you think of a university not allowing a Team Canada prospect 
to go to team yeah, selection camp. Uh, this is the University of Michigan. They're not going to release defenseman Owen Power to participate in the Canadian Junior Men's Hockey Team selection camp. And so let's see here. The senior vice president of national teams is Scott Salmond. And he said, we understand this year's World yeah. Juniors and selection camp are unique, but we believe the chance to represent Canada is a tremendous opportunity for any young player. Uh, they do say they understand and respect the decision made by Michigan. Potentially a COVID scenario plays into their decision-making process. Maybe it's that we can't get by without this kid. Either way, um, I'd be inclined to let a guy who plays for me at the University of Michigan and to go take a couple of weeks off for a, an opportunity like that. Yeah, well, that's that's the other factor here, right? This this camp is much longer than any other normal uh, world junior camp, right? Like they're they're starting in a week, aren't they? And they're there for a month almost right. before the tournament even starts, right? Yeah. So that's probably factoring into it. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was the coach didn't want to lose the player, whined to somebody, uh, <laughs> an athletic director who whined to a president who then said something to the uh, to Hockey Canada, who called up Sammy and said, look, we're not, the kid's not coming. I mean, it's, it's a shame, really, isn't yep. it? Yeah, and yet all these major junior hockey teams have absolutely no issue. And there's other universities, like I see, uh, you know, there's a kid from the University well, of Wisconsin. There's lots of them with the U.S. team. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The U.S. team would be packed with that. Most of the Team Canada team, though, yeah. as I look at it, is mostly major junior. There looks like there's only about three or four guys that are NCAA prospects. But anyway, it's uh, kind of an interesting thing to say no. Uh, one thing for an NHL a club that's dealing in a billion-dollar industry, uh, well, that's one thing. But when you're talking about, okay, he's going to miss a month in uh, in the amateur ranks, eh, that's a bit different. It's a month away from school, too, though, Stephen. True. Come on. You know, who knows? Maybe his mom didn't want him to go. Could be. Could be. <laughs> Although I doubt it. I checked, by the way, the Olympics start on Friday, July 23rd. So if you start your NHL season on Jan 1 and try to play 82 games, can you then have a regular Stanley Cup playoffs and have it over by July 23? That's pushing it. Right. Although anything's on the table at this stage of the game. He's their most dynamic forward. Stutzler, back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler. Slides it back across, they score! This is Tim Stutzel with a fantastic pass under Samuelson's stick, and he's going to find Paterka on to the far side. Whoa. What a sweet feed. That's courtesy of TSN. Last year's World Junior Hockey Championship coverage. Gord Miller and Ray Ferraro with the call there. I love the noise that Miller makes there after a sweet pass by Stutzel. He goes, whoa. And uh, right now, the news is pretty good on the uh, Sens first rounder, third overall. Making progress in recovery from his broken hand. It was, uh, I think, a six to eight week window as he was uh, dealing with that, which puts him in mid-December. And uh, if, I guess that'd be an interesting decision as well because he's got the whole thing with, okay, quarantine, throw 14 days in there. Whenever he arrives in Ottawa, add 14 days to that. So he might not be ready for the start of the regular season either and you know, will the Senators make him available to Team Germany? What do you think happens with Tim Stutzler? I think he's going to play for Germany. Yeah, he'll he'll play in a World Junior. I'm I'm just I don't understand why they haven't signed him yet. 
I, I, I don't get it. What's the holdup? And you mentioned off the top too, Sanderson as well. So that tells me that it's not a personal thing. It's not like they don't want to sign Stutzma. It's, I think they just don't want to sign either of them or any of them. They haven't signed Greg yet either. I think that there's some sort of plan here in place that they're, they're waiting for something. I don't know what, but uh, for some reason they haven't signed these guys and I don't know why. Well, with Stutzla, you know, there's that whole thing about his release from the German team. So that's still at play. Um, I know that technically, I think based on the rules, I think the, the timing of the signing means he might, you know, conceivably if they wanted to play hardball in Germany, his club team Mannheim could keep him over there if they wanted to. But if everybody agrees, if Stutzler's camp, Mannheim and the Sens all, all work something out, then he can come over and, and it'll be fine. They're not expecting it to be an issue, but maybe that, I, that that's what I've been kind of, you know, shielding the Sens with. But then Sanderson hasn't been signed either. So, um, and, and so of the top 10 first over first round draft picks, the six of them now have contracts. Of the four that don't, two of them are Ottawa Senators. And I'm sure it's no big deal, but it just makes you scratch your head and go, okay, what's the holdup here? You know, the season's going to be starting soon. And I, I, I understand the whole, and they've done a really good job of, of, there's no rumors, no leaks anymore coming out of the front office here in Ottawa. Like we didn't know anything about some of their free agent signings or trades or releases, never heard it coming. And that's great. But sometimes I think maybe you need to have a press conference and just say, hey, you know, here's what our thinking is, or here's why we haven't done this, or here's our plan for the future for doing this, just to stop people from the sky is falling, chicken little themselves around town. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure people are starting to get concerned. I was feeling good today, actually, as a side note, as we uh, transition here, um, seeing Thomas Shabbat, he was out for a promo session at Canadian Tire Center. It was neat to see the ice in. You know, it got me feeling, okay, the start of the season is nigh. And he's out there wearing the entirely new uniforms as, as some kind of promotion. So he's got the the whole black uniform on. And as good as it looked with uh, all the uh, promo stuff, I mean, to see him out there on the ice, it really is a fantastic look. So I'm very pleased with that. Yeah. Were you there? No, it was on social media oh, that somebody okay. got a... I don't, I don't know if somebody, you know... <laughs> Somebody might not be very well looked upon by the senators for putting that out on social media, but it was a uh, a fellow on uh, Twitter put out video of Shabbat out there twirling around in the new gear, and uh, so the whole world, the whole sense nice. Twitter was retweeting that, and it looked fantastic. But hopefully, <laughs> that doesn't uh, cost that guy anything. <laughs> I didn't even realize they'd put the ice in already. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, in. Yeah, I get, there's probably guys in town who are probably skating, but generally. In the summer, guys skate out of Canada, out of the uh, the Sensplex in Canada. They don't skate in the big rink. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess the ice is in already. It's nice to hear. It's a good sign, isn't it? We're getting there. We're getting closer. 100%. And everybody has signed. Uh, like I said, we were off last week, and since we last gathered, um, Christian Yaros re-signed with the club. Just a one-year deal. Uh, he gets uh, 750 in the NHL. But 250 down in the minors, which is quite a good chunk of change compared to guys like Schlappick and Balsers, who are going to be down around 70 grand down in the minors. And that would go to the, okay, well, he's all lined up for arbitration. We'd like to avoid that if we can. So um, in any event, uh, a thought on Christian Yaros. Well, the, the 250 is the uh, shut up and be happy kid money when we send you down. 
No, we don't need any griping and, and complaining. Uh, 250's a good chunk of change to play in the American Hockey League, which is probably where he's going to go. Um, is he a, is he waiver exempt? Well, you, that's you, where I was going to jump in. Yeah. Because the three guys I mentioned, according to Cap Friendly, which is a pretty yep. damn good resource, Yaros, Balsers, and Schlappick, who all just re-signed one-year contracts, every one of them have to clear waivers if the Sens try and send them down, which really complicates any sort of crystal balling you're doing with what the Sens opening night roster might look like. Yeah, because we've already talked about uh, guys on one-ways, and if you give jobs to everybody on a one-way contract, kind of de facto you're on the team, you add in these guys, they might as well be on a one-way because you're going to lose them, or you may lose them. And in post-COVID times with what... uh, with what the salary situation is with most teams, the, the cap situation and what you want to pay players, those guys are all reasonably priced to be picked up by anyone and are serviceable. Uh, some with a, a guy like Balsers with some real good potential still who could play in the NHL. So you've got to be careful now when you're picking your team. Who are you going to send down? Who are you going to keep? Who's an extra? Who's on a taxi squad? Um, do those guys end up on the taxi squad just on that basis alone? Uh, possibly, right? Yeah. I mean, all three of those guys would interest me if I'm, say, the Detroit Red Wings, who would have first shot. For sure. You know, like those, all three of those guys, and they're just the kind of guys, if you're an opposing GM, that you would be interested in. uh, If you're a rebuilding franchise, for example, or even if you're a decent team, you want to bring in guys like that, who they've really, they haven't scratched the surface yet of their potential. Uh, They may all be just, run-of-the-mill players, fringe NHLers, but I think all three of them, we don't know what they are just yet. So that would that would compel me to claim them off waivers if they happen to pop up on there. Um, with Yaros, I think the only thing he has to figure out is stuff between the ears because I think he's a full package as far as the tool set goes. I think the guy is one of the best skaters on the team. He's got a great shot. He can play a physical game, and God knows you need... You need some good young talent on that right side to be arriving soon because right now it's Zaitsev, Goodbranson, Josh Brown, uh, Artem Zub. Like none of these guys are going to be confused with Norris Trophy candidates. And who's going to play with Shabbat? But uh, it's sticking with Yaros first. Um, there's a there's a there's a point, and we again we've talked about this, and I, I it, it it interests me. There's a point where you have to say, was it Fisher cut bait, where the guy's been around for a while and he reaches a certain point where he still just hasn't quite made it where you can officially say, okay, we give up on the guy as far as any further development goes. And that's the point where he becomes a guy you can keep around as an extra defenseman or a extra forward rather than send them down to the minors because they need development and they need to get better. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And I think that all three of these guys are probably in that place where it's like, make it or you're a taxi squad because there's we we got other guys down in the minors who need to get development time and get their minutes down there. So I, yep. I can see a combination of one, two, or all three of them being here, whether they're everyday players or not remains to be seen. So Balsers and Schlappick, um they both have to clear waivers, and Brown and Batherson do not. I don't know. Does that affect any of your decision making? Like, does that make it harder? Does do Brown and Batherson have to be that much better than Balsers and Schlappick? 
Well, it's kind of moot because as far as I'm concerned, Batherson will be, no matter what, will be better than all of them. I He, he bloody better well. <laughs> he bloody well better be, let's put it that way. Um, Batherson makes it. In the case of Logan Brown, is he a kid who's going to get squeezed out because, okay, we can send him down without fear of losing him? I still think that Logan Brown is here and he's probably going to play as a number three center because it's time. It's just, we got to do this now and and find out if he's for real or not. I, I, I really right. think he's penciled in, if maybe even sharpied in as your third line center. Sure. The one other component you could look at is, okay, we use the first month, month and a half as Bowser's and Schlappick uh, getting an opportunity. Um, sure. And because Brown and Batherson can be stored for free down in Belleville. Whereas if you go with Brown and Batherson, you're probably, there's at least a chance you're saying goodbye to Bowser's and Schlappick. But who knows? You know, maybe both of them, maybe I'm over overrating both players. I just, I, I, I still like both players and Yaros. Uh, and I'm I'm not prepared to cut bait on them just yet. I'd sure. still like to see how they make out, but maybe I'm overrating them. Maybe they'd clear waivers just fine and head down to Belleville, which would be the ideal scenario if I'm to have my druthers right now. But they're going to carry more than 12 forwards, and they're going to carry more than 6D. Um, it, maybe even there's an expansion of, of roster number allowed for this season. Maybe they make a change in that, uh, in that case for the season. But as it is... If you're going to carry 22, 23, uh, you, you've got room for all of the guys we've been talking about here, all, what, five of them, between Brown, Batherson, Schlappick, Balsers, and Yaros. You've got room to carry all five of them, two of them playing a little more often than the rest, probably. So back to Thomas Shabbat, who again looked fantastic today, taking a twirl in the new black uniforms uh, at the CTC. I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, he makes a ton of money. Everybody loves him, uh, but there's a lot of room for improvement still there. I mean, that's still a young player who still occasionally, defensively, has some pretty major breakdowns. And so who you put with him as a defensive uh, partner is a very important decision. And right now, you don't have what I would call a ton of super attractive options. In Zaitsev, Goodbranson, Josh Brown, Christian Yaros, or Artem Zub, the newcomer. Um, what do you do at this stage? Well, I, 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 I'm not going to profess to know which person it's going to be. We could just talk about the qualities that we want in that player, right? We need somebody who is uh, more than reliable as a defender, someone who can... Who can uh, play well in front of his own net defensively when and if Shabbat's caught up ice, someone who is less tend, less prone to offensive forays. Um, I don't know if that's Zub. I don't know that Zaitsev has the foot speed or the... I, I just... He's just a body on the ice. I've yet to figure out exactly what his strengths is supposed to be. Uh, he doesn't really do anything for me. Uh, good Branson in his best day is probably the closest thing to what you're looking for there. But I don't know what he's still got left in the tank. I don't know if his, his foot speed can, can allow him to, to, uh, to play a season with Shabbat. I don't know if his offensive skills are still at a level high enough to be able to, to, to let Shabbat play off him, giving goes and things. Uh, and I don't know Josh Brown well enough to tell you whether it's him. 
I just, mm-hmm. I just, maybe it's Yaros. Yaros skills are definitely there. The size is there. And there you go. That locks up a spot. If this kid comes into camp and gets an opportunity to play with Shabbat and shines like we both think he can, then maybe he finds himself a home there. But I'm, I'm, I'm more tending to believe that it's probably going to be Zaitsev to start with and then see where it goes from there. My concern is the 30-minute-a-night Thomas Shabbat. Yeah. I think the 24-minute-a-night Thomas Shabbat could be Norris Trophy good. The 30-minute-a-night Thomas Shabbat, I think, is a bad idea. But I think right now you probably are going to have to do that. That's probably why DJ Smith did that so many nights last year. I think you are going to probably have a Zaitsev getting out there for 18, 19 minutes a night with Shabbat, and then maybe Yaros is out there for another 10 on top of that. And maybe in the context of that, in a sort of a, I don't know, 10, 12 minute a night kind of a, of a defenseman, maybe Yaros will be able to prove himself and, and get his feet wet that way and prove something to DJ Smith, who doesn't seem to be the biggest Christian Yaros fan. But I don't, ideally, you would like to get a guy who can for the most part, hang with Shabbat minute for minute and try and keep Shabbat's numbers down uh, because, uh, I don't know, what do you think? Shabbat playing that much? Is oh, that no, good I for business? I agree with you. He is, his his numbers should be around 20, 21, somewhere in there. Well, 24, 25 maxing out, right? Uh, um, uh, you have to keep good Branson because we need good Branson to play with Branstrom so we can call them good Branstrom. <laughs> um, I, um, I like is Zaitsev conditioning wise Zaitsev could probably play that many minutes a night but my god that's scary um, I, I really think that when it comes to the skill sets you're looking for that it's Yarosh um, but again you don't want Yarosh playing 26 27 minutes a night like I, I you want to keep uh, uh, what am I trying to say you want to keep Shabbat at 25 or less, right? So it's probably going to be in a combination of guys who he's going to play with, right? For sure it will be if he's over 30 minutes. At oh, 25, God. yeah, you're going to have to share a little bit because there's no defenseman in that group on the right side that I want out there more than 20 minutes a night, to be honest. What's Josh Brown? like? Who do we compare him to? What type of a defenseman is he? Who's his comparable? I have no idea. What's yeah. Zub? I have no idea. Zub or Zub? I have no idea what what type of guy he is. Yeah, and and and, and when you look at contracts, uh, there's a guy in a two way deal, and uh, that's going to play into the decision making as well. So, I mean, he's the most likely to not start the year in the NHL. If I'm looking at those five guys on the right side, Zub is the guy I would absolutely think is not going to make the team out of camp. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe he comes in and he's something special, and uh, they tell I don't know. A good brand. I don't know. If Zub did come in and, and, and knock the socks off everybody, then, uh, then you have a hard decision to make. Okay, let us get to birthdays, ladies and gentlemen. Beautiful. Cue the music. All right. Out of the gate, the big 4-0 to Chris Kelly. Huh? 40, really? Yep. Wow. Yeah, I guess he would be, wouldn't he? He's up there. He, he and Neil would be about the same age. Fisher? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say so. And certainly, what a great career Yeah, for a guy that was, uh, you know, I mean, he, he was a 30-point guy when he was here, a uh, good two-way guy. He was kind of a, 
Poor man's J.G. Pajot, who, by the way, turned 28 this week. They had the same exact birthday, Kelly and Pajot. They had the kind of same sorts of players. But I always admire the guy, like a, like a Chris Kelly, who arrived in the league, uh, you know, after two more years in the OHL after he was drafted in 99, and then four more years down in the American Hockey League. And despite the fact that his, his stats were just okay, I think he had a 60-point year, in his final year down in Binghamton, he's like the third-line center behind Jason Spezza and Antoine Vermette, and uh, they gave him the captaincy. Not Vermette, not Spezza. They gave it to Chris Kelly. Great character, great attitude, and uh, and you as a coach would absolutely say it. I mean, like, whatever talent you have, you squeeze a little extra something, you wring a little extra something-something out of it if you come to the rink with a great attitude, and Chris Kelly always did. Quality, quality individual, uh, true professional hockey player. You know, I, I persevered, played uh, in London, I believe, put yep. up some decent numbers in junior, uh, and fought for every minute <laughs> that he that he got to earn in the NHL when his day came. And then there were times here when there were injuries, when he was your number one center for a, a, one month, I believe, one year. I remember that correctly, I think, right? And, and put up some decent stats. And... Um, just a solid, solid professional, right? Totally. J.G. Pajot, 28 this week, as mentioned. The Sheriff, Shane Knighty, turns 45 this week. Mike Peluso. Okay. I used to love how that original PA announcer for the Sens games at the Civic Center would, would say his name. He's 55 today. Mike Peluso. Mike Commodore is probably in one right now. He's 41 <laughs> years of age. What a, they're a classic, classic. He is the definition of piece of work. Yeah, guys, he he's, a, he's a beauty. And finally, 38 years of age for a former Sens goaltender and didn't really amount to a whole lot was uh, Pascal Leclerc, as we like to call him, Glass. Oh, right. Glass remember the night he got hurt Leclerc. on the bench? Oh, yeah. <laughs> injury prone for sure. Oh. Yeah, you know you're injury prone when. But it wasn't a bad trade. There was something I'm trying to remember now, but there was something good in that deal. Was was there a, a second round draft choice in that deal that turned out to be something? So it was Leclerc for the aforementioned Antoine Vermette. Uh, I guess the Blue Jackets love them some Vermette, but there was also a second round draft pick in there, and that was back in 2009. Yeah, Robin Leonard. Yeah, so that worked out nicely. And what did they turn Leonard into? I think they turned him into a first rounder and David Legwand. Colin White, right? Is it not Colin yeah. White? Yeah. That was the first rounder. Yeah. You acquired LeClaire, who maybe didn't work out quite like you wanted him to, but you also got Robin Leonard in the deal, and you turned Robin Leonard into uh, Colin White. So uh, they made out okay in the end. It's just, and, and let's face it, when LeClaire arrived, there was a lot of potential there. He had been injury prone, but had some, put up some, some real nice numbers in Columbus before coming here. It just didn't quite work out uh, physically for him. That's all. Yeah. Colin White, if he didn't have that contract, I would be going, I'd be talking about him the same way I talked about some other nice young players on the team. Kind of just going, oh yeah, well, we still haven't seen his best yet. And he's still growing. But then you factor in the contract and you're like, okay, now that you got that contract, it's time to play hockey. It's time <laughs> to become the first round pedigree that you you came with. And at this stage of the game now, when I combine Colin White's play with the sight of his contract, I'm left with a the noise that is meh. No, I'm I'm still I'm still okay on it. I think he um, 
let's just say he had an off year. Some adjustments needed to be made. Maybe he had it a little too easy playing with uh, Kachuk and Stone the year before, and things changed, obviously. And uh, I, I, I'm still okay. He'll, he'll be all right. I don't know that he's quite going to live up to, is it $5 million a year or 4.5? Whatever he's making, he may four not ever quite live up to that. But um, I, I, there's a lot there still to come, I think, and we'll see some of it this year, I would think. A lot more Sens talk still to come, but that does it for this week's show here on the Sens Nation podcast. Oh, hey, Don't forget, we have a website. Savvy veteran. Oh, I know, right? It's just sort of smooth. I'm interrupting you. That was a, that was a world-class segue. Exactly. So, and then I interrupted. <laughs> exactly. World-class segues work better when there aren't people in the background complimenting the world-class segue while it's still going on. <laughs> so the website, once again, is SensNationHockey.com. You find all kinds of uh, Sens articles in there as well. You can see a full archive of uh, past shows, which all stand out pretty well, actually. It's been a while since the Sens actually played a hockey game, so not a lot of games to uh, make old podcasts uh, outdated. So uh, anyway, check all that out, SensNationHockey.com. With that, Greg Kennedy, the new head coach of the Slave Lake Ice Dogs. Enjoy your (laughs) week, and we'll talk to you again next week. For sure, Stephen. Talk to you soon. Thanks for being with us on the Sins Nation podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help the nation grow, please visit SinsNationPodcast.com. Leave a positive rating or review. Share the show with other Sins fans. Become a Patreon member or subscribe for free and never miss a single episode. Until next time, go Sins Go!